Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. I am going to be sharing my testimony with you, because uh, for a lot of you, you may not know who I am, so I just want to give you a little more background uh, to my history and with Rachel and how we came to be here. And then I'm going to be transitioning that into a sermon about uh, servanthood, uh, having a servant's heart just like Jesus. And uh, so we'll, we'll be diving into some scripture, and I'm really excited about it. So I, I won't bore you with my life as an infant. Uh, I don't think we want to go there. Um, but I did grow up in a Christian family. Both my parents had uh, been in ministry for many years full-time. In fact, that's where they had met, and they got married. And then they ended up having uh, three of us kids. And so I grew up in a, in a house where the Bible and church and all that was just a regular part of our life. And um, in fact, my dad was a four-square pastor for a number of years as well. So I've been in the four-square, yeah, I've been the four-square church uh, ever since I was a little kid. It's just been a part of my life, and I love four-square, so I'm happy to be a part of it. Um, You know, growing up in that kind of a household, um, having a Christian father and a Christian mother, it was incredible because my parents didn't force their faith onto me. It was something that was just a natural growing up into it where they taught us about the Lord and they really encouraged us to be independent, to think for ourselves and really own our faith for our own. And I remember having a lot of questions as a young person about, you know, was our faith really real? You know, our other faiths really real? And I remember a lot of times I, I wouldn't know where my dad was at and then I would hear crying and I would go and I'd, I'd, I'd li- listen through the, the door in his bedroom and I'd hear my dad just sobbing and crying out to the Lord and praying. And my dad never cried. Okay? My dad was as tough as nails. My dad never cried for anything. But when my dad prayed and my dad worshipped the Lord, he would be on his face bawling his eyes out. And this was in private. Nobody was around him. But that was the intimate relationship he had with the Lord. And so I would see this throughout the years. And it was just absolutely incredible being raised by uh, a dad and a mother like my parents were. So I attribute most of everything that I am to my parents and the way I was raised. As I got a little bit older and as a teenager and as I began questioning more and more about how do I make my faith my own, uh, I started going to a youth group with a friend of mine and that's where I really ended up meeting the Lord. And it was there where I was baptized by the Holy Spirit and the Lord began putting a fire in my heart to serve people, to serve His kingdom. I can't even explain just the, it was like a light bulb went off into my heart. How many of you experienced that? You just, you had that light bulb moment go off and you're just like, I got to live my life for the Lord. You know, you just, it's like something, like an engine just turns on and that's what it was like for me. And after that time in my life, I began to realize that I needed to serve the Lord with everything that I had. Any opportunity I had was serving the Lord. So whether it was sending emails out to friends uh, just encouraging them the Lord and sharing scripture and just sharing my testimony with them, I would do that. I'm sure they got tired of that, the emails, the weekly emails, but I was trying to come up with any way I could to share with people. I'd go out on the streets and share the gospel with people. Uh, I would serve every summer as a teenager. I'd spend my entire summer working as a camp counselor, and I'd have kids for a whole week, and I'd get to share the gospel with them and pray with them, and getting to deal with hundreds of kids like that over the years was just incredible. But every opportunity I could find I, want, I wanted to serve the Lord because that's, that was what God was putting on my heart. I want you to serve me. I want you to serve my kingdom. So as I got a little bit older and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do for a career, I ended up joining the Air Force. And I was only in for about six months because I ended up having a spontaneous pneumothorax. I basically, it was a air getting in between my lungs and 
It was a pretty big deal and I had to have surgery and I ended up being discharged. And I don't know if a uh, midlife crisis can happen at the age of 20, but that's what it felt like because I felt like my entire life was just shattered at the age of 20 and trying to figure out what to do with my life. And my parents had encouraged me to consider Bible college because serving the Lord was always a passion of mine. So I ended up going to the, the Bible college and it was just an exciting time learning about the Lord and learning theology and getting to do practical ministry skills and so I was doing this at Northwest Foursquare Church uh, under Pastor Steve Shell. It was just an incredible time. And it was during that time I met my wife, Rachel. And we were both serving in youth ministry at the time. And I have to admit, I wasn't expecting she would be the kind of girl that would want to date me. So I feel like when she, we did start dating, I definitely leveled up quite a few notches. So <laughs> I, I definitely was the lucky one in that. In that. Um, so we ended up dating, we got engaged, and then we got married. And that was about the same time I graduated from Bible college. So at that time, we were both young, restless, and we just wanted to serve the Lord. And I just, I keep saying that because that was our heart. We really just wanted to go out wherever God was going to call us. Didn't matter if it was, you know, Zimbabwe, it was, we were going to listen to the Lord and we were going to go wherever he called us to. So I remember there was this, this one day I'm at work and I get a, a phone call on my iPhone and I see the area code and it says, you know, Venita, Oklahoma. And I'm just thinking to myself, <laughs> I don't know anybody in Oklahoma. This is, this, is, this is pretty bizarre, right? So I get a voicemail, and it's from a pastor, a four-square pastor in Oklahoma. And he's looking for a full-time youth pastor. And so the first thing I do immediately is I Google population of Venita, Oklahoma. So I'm, I'm a city boy. I grew up in, you know, Tacoma Federal Way. That's pretty much what I had always known. And so I look, and it's about 3,500 people. It's a very small town. This is a, this is a farming, ranching kind of town, all right? Everybody rides on horses, you know, diesel trucks, cowboy hats, the works, right? Uh, and so we end up uh, doing an interview, and we end up flying out there for an interview. And I just remember when we first got into Oklahoma, it was almost like as if the Lord just told us, this is where you guys are going to be. This is where I'm calling you to be. I mean, we had, they hadn't offered us a job or anything. And I just remember, I think it was our first night there in the hotel room, and we just looked at each other, and we are like... I think this is where God's going to call us to. And, and it was kind of scary and kind of exciting at the same time. And so we ended up coming back home, and I think it was the same day or the next day they offered us a full-time youth pastor job out there. And we accepted it, and within a few months we packed up everything or sold everything or threw away whatever we could, and we marched our way over to Oklahoma. And we got out there, and it was in July, and it's hot, hot in July. It's very, it's very humid in Oklahoma. I don't know if you've ever been over in Texas, Oklahoma, during the summertime, extremely humid. And I remember getting there, and we had boxes all over the house, and our bed was set up. And I, I walk into my bedroom, and I look at my bed, and I just fall down on my bed, and I start bawling my eyes out. And I just, I'm saying, God, why are we here? Why did you do this? Why did you make this come out here? I don't cry. And this moment, I was just broken. I was like, what are you doing, Lord? Why am I here? And then I remember that same afternoon, we ended up going out and meeting with our pastors and getting to meet some of the people and drive around town. And the Holy Spirit just started giving me a peace, and it just reminded me, I've called you here. These are the people you're going to serve. There's a reason why you're here, and I was fine. From that day on, I was fine, and I was excited about God, what God was going to do with us. And, uh, and it was an, an amazing time we had there. We were there for a little over two and a half years, almost three years. And it was just an exciting time of serving our kids. And in fact, a lot of our kids uh, are still serving the Lord today in ministry. And we still keep in contact with some of them. And it's just incredible. It's incredible seeing young people who, you know, you spend years with them, 
discipling them and then seeing them being passionate for the Lord and then seeing them get to continue that on with other people. So I want to show you a couple of pictures. This first picture here, this was our first year and this, this was probably one of our adventures. We go to Sonic all the time on a Wednesday night. We just, we drive off in our bus and we go get Sonic drinks and just have a really good time. And so these were, these were a bunch of my kids. We'd have middle schoolers and high schoolers combined. A lot of times we'd separate them. But just an incredible group of kids there. You can go ahead and do the next picture. So this was our ugly sweater Christmas party. We would do some of the craziest games and craziest parties you could think of, right? So we'd do an ugly sweater. Whoever could come up with the craziest sweater, they'd win a gift, you know, something like that. We had a, a game that same night, which is absolutely disgusting. And I was going to show a video, but I didn't want anyone to throw up. So we, how many of you have seen the movie Elf with Will Ferrell? All right, it's a really funny Christmas movie. And there's a scene where he has cooked spaghetti and he starts pouring syrup all over it, puts M&Ms and Pop-Tarts and every kind of sweet candy he can put in there. And so we play a game where we cook up spaghetti. We'd have four people lined up on a table and then we'd start just dousing it with syrup until you couldn't even see the spaghetti anymore and put M&Ms and everything we could find at Walmart. We just stuck that in there. Then they had to stick their hands behind their backs and they had to stick their faces down there. Whoever within like a five-minute time period could eat the most spaghetti was our winner. Those are the kind of games we play. The kids loved it. It was an exciting time. And throughout those years, it was really a time of, in the beginning, it was teaching the kids about who is God, what is repentance, what is sin, what is salvation, really getting them focused on the basics of our faith. And then after that, we began developing in them a lifestyle of serving the Lord, being passionate for the Lord, and doing practical things, praying for people, preaching, just sharing the gospel, all that good stuff. It was really exciting. And after about two, a little over two and a half years, we felt the Lord calling us to come back. Uh, our son Titus had just been born, and we just knew that we needed to be close to family again. So we ended up transitioning back to the Northwest. And the thing was, is when we came back, we didn't feel at home anywhere. We visited our old church, and we loved it, but it just wasn't the same. We visited other churches. In fact, we even went to other denominations, just trying to find a place where we felt at home. And nothing felt at home. Now, I strongly believe that the Lord calls people to a home church. That this is a place where you're supposed to be and be a part of the community. And I'm not saying this to you know, try and make you feel guilty for like, don't leave our church. But I really believe it's a biblical thing that God calls us to be a part of the community. It's very biblical in the synagogues, in the early home churches, and to serve in that community that you've been called to. And so we just were not feeling that calling anywhere. And so we're confused and we're trying to figure out where is the Lord calling us to. And, uh, you know, I was working in Seattle, and my company decided they were going to open a store here in Wenatchee. And we had kind of considered maybe the potential of moving away from the Northwest. And so when we saw this opportunity, we, we drove out here. We hadn't even opened the store yet. And we're driving around town. And I, within, within the first hour, I almost want to say as soon as we came into Wenatchee, we just had this sense of this is where God's calling us to. We knew this is where we were going to raise our boys. This is where we were going to serve. This is where we were going to have our church community. It was just, we felt the presence and the, the peace of the Holy Spirit in that moment. It was just very exciting. And it, it's exciting knowing you're walking in the footsteps of the, what the Lord has set before you, right? And so we ended up, you know, uh, going back and I told the CEO of the company, I want to transfer out here. And the Lord just made every way possible for us to come out here. It was really exciting. So we ended up moving up, and we came over here, and almost immediately we started visiting Praise Center, got to know Pastor Sal, and again, it was the same thing. Oh, within the first Sunday or two Sundays, 
Rachel and I just talked. We're like, this is, this is our home. This is where we're going to be. I, I remember people being so gracious to us, making us feel welcome, loving us. I'm an introvert, and I have a really hard time just talking to people and, and being in groups, and it's really uncomfortable for me. And so people just made me feel really welcome, made me feel like family. People take me out for lunch. And I remember Chris, you know, he'd start taking me out to lunch, and it was just like, wow, like, he actually cares about who I am, right? Like, this is, this is cool. Like, I've been, I've been to other churches where people just kind of say hi, and like, that's about it, and then there's nothing else after that. And I wanted to be a part of the family, and this, is, this has been the family that I've been a part of now, and it's been really exciting. And uh, so how I'm going to transition this into, from my testimony into what we're talking about today, is the fact that I feel like my entire life has been a calling of serving, of obedience to Lord. Listening to what he has to say and doing what he says. Now, I have failed many times in my life. My wife will tell you that. I've failed many times in my life. But the Lord keeps picking me back up, forgiving me. I repent of my sin, and I keep walking towards him and all of that so that I can serve his kingdom. You see, he's put a fire in my heart to serve him. And so what I want to encourage you today is that the Holy Spirit would ignite a fire in all of our hearts to serve his kingdom, to serve his purposes. So we're going to be focusing on the passage of John chapter 13 verse 1 through 17. Our title today is How Much More? How much more can we serve God's kingdom? How much more can we sacrifice for our Savior? Amen? We're going to open in prayer and then we're going to go ahead and dive into the Word. Heavenly Father, we pray today that you would open up our hearts to receive what you would give us today. That our ears would be open, our eyes, that we would just see the truth, that it would transform us, that it would not just be text, but that it would be living and it would transform us, Lord. So we praise things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. All right, you ready to dive into this? Yes. All right, we're going to be focusing right now on John chapter 13, verse 1 through 17. After we read through this, I'm going to give you a little bit of background about this scripture. I think it's important, especially for us who are in modern time, Western culture, we understand the context of what the original author was trying to get across. A lot of times there's customs and there's, there's cultural things that are going on that we don't always understand, right? How many of you own sheep? Not many. There's a lot of analogies in Scripture that talks about sheep. And it's not that we can't understand it. It's that sometimes we have to understand what is really going on here. What is he really trying to communicate talking about sheep so that we can get the, the full meat of what is going on here? All right. So John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Evening meals in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. 
Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Truly, very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Amen? All right, let's dive into this. The story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. The significance is that a teacher would wash the feet of his disciples. This would never happen. A teacher would never serve the disciple. This is why Peter is so outraged. It was unthinkable for their teacher and Messiah to do this. I kind of, I wanted to come up with an analogy that would be somewhat close to how Peter and the disciples would have felt about their teacher, their Messiah, washing their feet. Imagine, if you will, you're going to have the CEO or the owner of your company come over and have a meal, have some coffee with you and your family, right? This, you work for your company, he's going to come over, you're going you know, to entertain him, have a meal, it's going to be great, right? So he ends up, he shows up to your house, you know, you're ready to sit down, you, you just brewed your coffee in the curie, you can get that, get that caffeine smell coming along, it's really great, you're ready to go, and all of a sudden the CEO or the owner of your company tells you, you know, hey, Aaron, um, I just want to let you know, I need to go and I need to wash, I need to clean up your bathroom, I need to scrub your toilet, I, I got to Lysol down the, the, the toilet and wash everything down, I need to scrub in there, I got to clean everything in that toilet for you. Uh, no, that's not going to happen, right? That, wouldn't that be your response? Unless you really, really hate cleaning, like that would be my response. The CEO of my company is not going to wash the toilet in my bathroom. If anybody's going to do it, it's going to be me or one of my kids, right? Like, that's, that's just not going to happen. If, if, if the, the CEO, the, the owner of my company is not going to be serving me. I'm going to be serving him. Like, that, this, that, 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 that is unthinkable, right? It's almost like we can't even comprehend how weird and gross and humiliating and just backwards that would feel, right? That's the closest analogy I could come up with for what that would be like for a teacher washing the feet of his disciples. You see, during those times uh, when you're walking around, like we've got shoes and socks and our feet don't really get dirty. We hopefully bathe every day, right? Uh, And so our feet generally are not going to be dirty if we go to someone's house. We're going to take our shoes off, walk around our socks, no big deal. Back then, everyone's walking around with sandals, dusty, dirty roads, and even if they had bathed that same day, which is what Jesus had said to Simon, their feet are still going to be dirty from when they travel to the host's house. So typically, a servant would end up washing the feet. It was a very humbling job, and it was the role of a servant. The host typically would never do this. This is the role of a servant. See, back then, they actually had servants. They actually had the role of somebody who would prepare meals and set things out for you and wash your feet and do the kind of work that you typically wouldn't do like that. And so the fact that a teacher, a rabbi, the Messiah, is doing this for his disciples is unthinkable. If you think about it, Simon Peter's response to, to, to Jesus, it, it, was, it was rightfully so, right? I mean, he's like, you're my Messiah. You're our teacher. You should not be doing this. He, I, honestly, I would have had the same response that he had. But you see, Jesus, what he's doing is he's pointing towards the cross. You see, his entire life is a life of serving. He's come to serve, not to be served. He's come to lay his life down for his disciples. So 
not only is this an act as an example, because he said, I want you to wash each other's feet as well. But all this is leading to the cross, which ultimately is the ultimate act of sacrifice for his disciples and for everyone else. This is incredible, you guys. He's setting the precedence for them. He's showing them a lifestyle, a way of living. This is a servant's heart. And then he says, I want you to do this for other people. I, I don't know if you've ever had your feet washed by somebody else in like a, an exercise of, of serving. Have you, anybody ever done that? Okay, so I have done that before. I was working at a camp and I remember my leaders wanted to do an exercise where, you know, we would all be sitting down and we had bowls of water and we washed each other's feet. And it was an interesting exercise. I just remember thinking to myself, I don't want someone touching my feet. Like, that's gross. Like, I don't want that. Like, my feet are ticklish and uh, I don't want this, right? But we did it anyways. And it, if anything, it was symbolic for having a servant's heart. But I just remember it, it didn't relate, I think, the same way it did to them back then. Because back then, that truly was the role of a servant. And now today, the question is, what does the role of a servant look like? We're going to dive into that a little bit later. Now we're going to transition over to Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 through 28. And this is a story about John and James, and they were the sons of Zebedee. And in verse 20, it says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong for those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, status was important to the Jews. Paul, the Apostle Paul, prided himself of being a great Jew. But Jesus flips everything upside down on them, tells his disciples that the first is last and the last is first. That's essentially what he's saying to them. In order to advance in the kingdom, you must become less than others and serve. Jesus gave the ultimate token by serving mankind, by sacrificing himself, taking our sins and sickness on his own shoulders. How much more? That is our question. As we see our teachers serve, so we should also imitate and serve like Jesus. Jesus didn't have to serve, but everything in his life pointed towards the cross, he bore the burden of servanthood because of his love for us. The cross was God's plan to save us and it required Jesus to humble himself, to live like us, and to serve us. My dad used to have some, a, a saying that he would always say to me. He would say, everybody wants to be a servant until they're treated like one. You see, the role of a servant isn't just something that happens in your mind or in your heart. It's something you are actually doing. It's taking action. It's actually going and serving somebody and doing something that is humbling that other people might not want to do. Now think about this for a second. When the disciples were in that room and Jesus was the one who was going to wash their feet, what do you think was going through all their minds? Nobody was washing their feet. You know, all 12 of them are there and who's going to wash our feet? Like they can't eat their meal and be dirty, right? This is so, but nobody's volunteering. 
So they all have this mindset of, I don't want anybody else to think I'm less than them. I don't want the next guy to be better than me. That's what this last passage in Matthew is about. I don't think the mother's intentions were wrong, but I think a lot of times it's how we get things backwards. We think advancing in life is by how much more we can have of stuff, how we can advance up the corporate ladder, how can we attain more things. It's about our priorities and what we want. And then Jesus flips it around and says, no, if you want to advance, if you truly want to advance, you're going to serve people. You're going to be the slave of people. That's the only way you're going to really advance in my kingdom. You know how we know this for a fact is the reason that Jesus did that very thing. He became the servant of others. He sacrificed himself for others. And then he commands us, do what I have done. Follow my example. Imitate me. You see, there's a, a very strong relationship between a disciple and his teacher. The teacher was the one who would do something. And the disciple was the one who would follow in his example. I think a lot of times it's hard for us to even understand that concept. Because a lot of times in our Western culture, we don't have a lot of you know, teacher-discipleship type roles, right? We're very independent. We're very just, I do my own thing. I live my own life. No one's going to tell me what to do. And that's not the way we're supposed to live our life. Jesus designed us to be mentors to other people and to be mentored by people. And ultimately by our teacher, Jesus Christ. I, I am actually very proud to say that Pastor Sal is my mentor in my life. And I am, I'm really proud of that fact because I learn from Pastor Sal. I follow his example. In fact, I try to imitate my slide after Pastor Sal. Like, it is a natural thing God has designed in us to want to follow the example of someone who is more mature and who has sacrificed more than we have. So Jesus gives us that perfect example, and then we have people in our own lives that we can follow their example. I, I was just telling, I think it was Pastor Sal, that I'm getting a little bit of gray hair in the very back of my, hair, my head. I'm proud of that. I'm, I want to earn my, my gray hairs. You know why? Because those with the gray hairs who have had years and knowledge of being in relationship with the Lord and have something to offer to us young punks, right? I, I can't wait to be that guy one day who's had decades and decades of experience and have time with the Lord, and I can pass that down to other young men as well. So for those, I'm going on a tangent here, but for those of you who have gray hair, I want to encourage you, take up your mantle of being a mentor to people like me and be excited and proud of that. You've earned your gray hair, be proud of it, mentor young punks like me so the next generation can rise up, be passionate warriors for the Lord. Amen? All right, little, little tangent. All right. I'm sorry if I offended anybody about talking about gray hair. I just truly believe that it's a sign of honor and dignity and something to be admired. Amen. All right. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. All right. I got to get back on track here now. All right. <clears throat> At the end of all of this, we have one thing to ask. If we claim to be disciples of Jesus, how much more should we imitate and serve like he did? That truly is a question we have to ask. How much more? This was a saying of a disciple when he would imitate his teacher. If the teacher would do something, how much more should the disciple do that as well? If you saw your teacher doing something, then you would then do the same thing and you would ask yourself, how much more can I do than what my teacher would do? It was an incredible concept and something that we need to adopt in our own lives and asking Jesus, how much more can I serve you and serve your kingdom? How much more can I sacrifice? You know, as I was preparing this, mes this message, I felt the Lord just speaking to me and, and, and saying, what are you doing for me? How are you serving me? 
are you serving me enough? And I would think to myself, not as just not to self-condemn myself, but I would just say, Lord, not enough. I want to serve you more. How can I serve you more? So now I'm asking, how can I serve my wife? How can I serve my children? How can I serve my employees? How can I serve my church community? How can I serve the people that I meet on the streets? What can I do more, Lord? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself, but let's, let's work through this. Let's go over a few things here of practically what serving looks like in modern times. First, serving starts at the heart. We can't serve unwillingly. We have to want to serve because Jesus did. If we don't want to serve, we must pray and believe that God will humble our hearts. And believe me, if you truly want to have a humble heart, Jesus will humble your heart. (laughs) Believe me, if you pray with faith and ask for a humble heart, he will humble you. And sometimes it's a little more devastating than what, what we might like, but ultimately that's what we need. Number two, serving is a lifestyle, not a one-time act. It begins the moment you wake up till you fall asleep, starts with your family and spreads to your coworkers, your church community, your neighbors, people living on the streets, or even someone that hates you. And that takes me back to a point. Jesus washed the feet of Judas. Whoa. Whoa. Jesus knows that he's going to betray him, and yet he washes his feet. He acted as a servant to the one that he knew was going to betray him. I mean, come on, you guys. It doesn't get more intense than that. How many of us can say that we knew somebody that hated us, had done things wrong against us, and then we felt the Lord just calling us, I want you to serve that person. I want you to love that person. Whoa. All right. This is what Jesus wants from us. He said, now I want you to wash each other's feet. I'm your example. Now I want you to wash the feet of somebody who might stab you in the back, someone that hates you, someone that might betray you. You see, we can't do this on our own. This isn't something we can just naturally do in our hearts. It has to be something that the Lord just rises up in our heart, a faith, a willingness to be able to serve Him. It's not something we can do in the flesh. It has to be done in the Spirit. All right, point number three. Serving isn't going to look the same for every person. Each one of us has gifts, talents, and resources to give to others who have needs. It can be simple as praying for someone that is sick or in need of spiritual encouragement or as sacrificial as giving someone a car that is in need of one or keeping a humble and servant attitude towards someone that is spiteful or hateful towards you. Number four, we must remove distorted or unbiblical ideas of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and listen and obey Jesus' command to follow his example of being a servant. I think oftentimes it's too easy for us to go through Scripture, to pick out the different things that we like. Ah, I like this. I like how Jesus, you know, prayed for this person. I like how he fed these people. And, you know, I like the the idea of being blessed when I go to heaven. And, you know, I like these things. But being a servant and sacrificing and picking up my cross. I mean, we, it's too easy for us to pick and choose. And what Jesus is teaching us here is I've set you the example. I have my written word. I have my spoken word. You have the Holy Spirit speaking to you. You do not have a choice as to what you want to obey and what you don't want to obey. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you follow his example in its entirety. You see, during ancient times, that was the epitome of a great disciple. He imitated his master. He imitated his teacher. Teacher would do something, he would do it to a T, and then how much more can I do it? That was the example of a great disciple. So the question for us is, what do we need to do to be great disciples? We need to follow the perfect example that is set before us in Scripture. We have the perfect example. And as disciples, 
You see, I, I think this is sometimes where we get confused in America. A lot of people are Christians. Not a lot of people are disciples. There's a big difference between a Christian and someone says, yeah, I go to church, you know, I, I believe in God, all right, versus somebody who says, my life is dedicated to the ways of the Lord. I will sacrifice everything for him. I walk in his footsteps and I will imitate him. That is a disciple. Very, very distinct things that we must remember if we want to follow Jesus the way he has commanded us to. Number five, we must listen and obey to the Holy Spirit and act in obedience to his written word. There's no option to not obey. The question isn't one of whether or not we should serve, but how much more we can serve. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8, this is going to be our, some of our concluding thoughts here. It says, in your relationships with one another, that would be us, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is powerful. I want you to think about this for a second. Jesus, from the very moment he was born, was a servant. He, he cast aside all of his, all of his, I don't, want to, I, 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 want, I don't want to get in a theological misstep here, but he, he cast aside his power or his, his uh, willingness, his ability to, to be powerful, right? I, I want to say this right. He, he became man. He was God at the same time, but man at the same time. He humbled himself by becoming man, by becoming flesh, by becoming one of us and God at the same time. So from the very time he was born, he humbled himself and was a servant to us. Does that make sense? He's God at the same time, man at the same time, but by becoming man, he's become a servant to us. So from the time he's born to the time he dies, his entire life is that of a servant. So what I'm trying to get across here is that being a servant isn't something that we just kind of like, oh yeah, I, it probably being a servant would be a good thing. Like this was the life of Jesus. He came to serve us, and then he commands us to do likewise. Do what he did. This is powerful, even obedient to death, death on a cross. So the question then would be for us, if our Lord humbled himself, died on a cross for us, how much more ought we to serve? I don't think that we, we can't ever compare to the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, but we have to ask ourselves, how much more? He gave everything, so how much more can we give? I can tell you with honesty, I'm not giving everything that I possibly can, but I'm asking myself that question now. How much more, Lord, can I give you today? Tomorrow when I wake up, I'm going to ask myself, how much more, Lord, can I give to you? Because there's a fire inside of me, there's a passion inside of me, and there's a knowledge that I have been saved, that he has saved me from my wretched self and saved me from my sins, and all I can do now is give everything back to him. That is a disciple. We acknowledge our Savior, and we say, Lord, I want to be like you, I want to imitate you, I want to do everything just like you. And that is a life of sacrifice. And like I said earlier, everyone wants to be a servant until you're treated like one. So when we take up that, you know, how much more, Lord, I want to be a servant, be prepared to be treated like a servant. Be prepared to be humbled. Be prepared to not have a glorious, you know, like, oh, yeah, this is great. But 
in humiliation and humility, serving God's purposes. Amen? The Old Testament is full of prophecy proclaiming the coming Messiah. Unfortunately, hearers of the word of God don't always listen and obey. Isaiah clearly lays out the coming of a servant who would suffer to save mankind. God's plan of salvation was proclaimed through Isaiah 700 years before Jesus' birth. A suffering servant was God's plan to save us. And the Jews expected a king and a warrior. As disciples of Jesus, we must imitate his life. Servanthood isn't a one-time choice. It's a lifetime act of obedience and of love and willingness to, to humble ourselves even to the point of death to serve God's kingdom. I'm going to read through chapter 53, The Suffering Servant. And I just want you to think about it as I'm reading this. And then we're just going to close real quick and I'm going to have Pastor Sal come up and close this. But I just want you to think about this for a moment. The fact that our father, 700 years before Jesus even came, sent a prophet to speak to the people and let them know your Messiah is coming, but he's going to come in the form of a suffering servant. He's going to humble himself as a man. He's going to suffer. He's going to take our sins and our sickness on his shoulders because he loves us. And then Jesus comes and he fulfills that prophecy. And then he says, now I want you to go and do the same thing. You see, the disciples were so convinced and so dedicated of being imita imitating Jesus that the majority of all of them were, were martyred. They believed so firmly in what Jesus had taught them. They were willing to die for their faith. So the question comes back on us, how much more can we serve, Lord? If our ancestors, if our, if our, you know, our ancestors of, of our faith were willing to die for it, how much more, what more can we do now? Amen? All right, let's, we're going to work through Isaiah 53, and then we're going to close. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief and like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due, his grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. He would render himself as a guilt offering. He will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge of the righteous one. My servant will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. And he will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and he was numbered with the transgressors. 
Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Wow. Isn't that powerful? Our Lord came as a servant, humbled himself as a man, sacrificed everything. No peep, no... When they were whipping him and beating him, nothing, nothing vile came out of his mouth because he knew that he had come to serve us. He, he could have done whatever he wanted to do, but he came to serve the purposes of the Father and to serve us so that we could spend all eternity with him. That right there is our motivation. That's my motivation. I love him so much because he gave him everything for me. So now my question for myself, how much more, Lord, can I serve you? Amen? Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.